1: America welcomes you to Stars of PR with Cindy R. Now, here's the host and CEO of BR Public Relations, Cindy Rakowitz.
2: Good morning, everybody. Happy Thursday. It's been a really crazy year in terms of some of the crisis that we all had to face and what we read day to day and current events. And I've had a number of shows talking about crisis management and what was done right and what was done wrong and what could have been done, and today we're going to spend an hour talking about it again because the crises don't seem to stop. They keep on coming, and with me today is a regular guest by the name of Glenn Ebersol. He calls himself the PR doctor, which as all of you know, there are many, many, many PR doctors out there, but I'm glad to have Glenn with us this morning. Welcome, Glenn.
3: Good morning, Cindy. Great to be back.
2: It's it's great to have you back. And um, you know, I know that I opened up the show with a pretty dull introduction in terms of the state of affairs in our world today. But you know, as a commentator, we have to be realists. And you know, I'm not being pessimistic. I'm just kind of stating the facts and you know, really prodding for leaders out there to be more cognizant of things that can be wrong, and perhaps hiring people who know disaster management and crisis management, so something like a BP oil spill could have been handled in a much more efficient manner.
3: (laughs) Well, you're absolutely right, and uh, I'm not sure. I know they had some plans, and I know they had uh, a spill plan, which is something that they're required to do, but uh, A, it didn't seem they follow it, B, uh, they probably hadn't practiced it. And see, obviously, they didn't really execute it very well.
2: Well, yes, I think that people might have their plans that are required by regulation. Um, sometimes there are organizations and, and, and businesses, large or medium-sized or sometimes small, that might have to do their due diligence in order to keep operating but when it comes to really doing the exercises required as you mentioned or spending on the spending on equipment that might be required for immediate cleanup that's something that seems to get postponed probably for budgetary matters i would guess Um, You know, I I would guess that there's a chief financial officer of the company that sits down with the COO and the CEO and a board of directors, and they look at costs of what things might be, Um, and they're looking at things that are millions. And, you know, they all sit around a room and say, well, you know, it's unlikely that that's going to happen, so why don't we, you know, cut out all of the operations necessary to implement um, training exercises should this go awry. I mean, do you agree with that? Because that's my assessment coming from corporate they, uh, America.
3: we Will do. This is part of uh, risk management in a company, and they'll sit down and, and try to assess the risk versus the uh, cost. And I think here it's not only millions, but it's billions of dollars. And uh, just last evening I was uh, listening to uh, – <clears throat> A story about, I guess, the uh, state, uh, one of the states. I don't think it was Louisiana, had requested ten million dollars from BP uh, to help with some of the uh, behavioral health, mental health issues mm-hmm. that are br- being brought about by this, and uh, they're they're balking. They're not uh, they're not doing that, and again, I think that does not serve them well from a public relations standpoint. And what you said in the very beginning of your remarks, Cindy, is that you know we need this reality because we must be credible, we must uh, admit that, you know, hey, accidents happen, mistakes can be made, and so forth, and to come right out of the box with some kind of a very clear statement about that you are very concerned about the impact that this may have, you don't have all the answers, but if you don't have a credible, believable person up front and really showing true empathy as a result of this, you're starting out on a very, very slippery slope when it comes time to the crisis communications for these
2: well, yeah that's a, well uh, you know absolutely um, and it but the thing that is just amazing to me is the fact that they did not have somebody with empathy and sympathy coming out from day one, and you know when at the beginning of the show you know you talk about risk management, which is financial factor. You have risk management advisors that, you know, give you information based on statistics, right? So the people sitting around the room are like, well, I'll bet against these statistics, okay? But if you're going to bet against those statistics, at the very least, can you at least have, um, you know, a solid... Person in charge of crisis management and corporate communications, like a lot of other companies do, yep. to ensure that there is an immediate response and sympathy and not somebody that says that he wants to have his life back. Right. <laughs> um, I, you, know, it, you know, listen, it, it was just astounding and it really demonstrated that they really didn't have an in-house, you know, a, a strong corporate communications team. Right. At all, and I, I, I would guess that they hire out a lot of their communications, P, you know, to PR organizations, particularly in the United States, because they're, you know, you know, a European based company.
3: But, well, I think uh, when we talk about risk management, even and and with uh, communications in crisis, I think it was a, a high risk move for them to use. Uh, him because, one, English is his second language.
2: I know. Well, he kept on apologizing for that, but why didn't somebody think about that in the first place? <laughs> right.
3: That should have been a preemptive thing to say, you know, we, we can have him visible, but we can't have him as the primary spokesperson because we have a real risk that he may use something unknowingly or, you know, we know all the different nuances and languages, may say something very innocently with one intent that comes across Totally different, uh, i.e. the small people comment. And so that when they don't have this set up in the very beginning, and of course Three Mile Island, we talked about, you know, why don't we learn lessons from that? Three Mile Island is a classic case. And at the time of Three Mile Island, I was living about 14 miles away from there. Mm -hmm. And uh, again, with all the folks that I knew in the media, really had a lot of uh, opportunities to uh, you know, talk with them not only during but afterwards. And one of the things that they really lacked uh, was a credible spokesman, somebody that had some technical knowledge that would show empathy and so forth, and a totally uncoordinated uh, effort of communication. The stories changed sometimes literally by the minutes. They did not have a one-voice strategy. And until a gentleman by the name of Harold Denton, arrived on the scene, who regularly, very honestly, and you could just tell by his body language that this guy was very concerned, that turned around the whole situation, and the public would have faith in him that when he spoke, he would speak the truth, and if he didn't know something, he would let them know he didn't know and would try to find out.
2: Yeah, well, they should have thought about him in the first place. (laughs) (laughs) For sure. Um, Again, you know, if you want to take, you know, if you want to play it very, um, if you don't want to be conservative in terms of your risk management, okay, I mean, because it's a statistical game, at least, I mean, invest in, you know, a decent, you know, leader of communications in your company, um because then at least if something went awry, you could handle the transition very, very smoothly and, you know, sort of alleviate the concerns of multiple constituents. And, you know, it just blows my mind that large companies just, you know, don't do that or they put somebody fairly junior in that might have the ability to, you know, write a press release or promote product sales, but have no idea how to command a presence when it comes... Right, and
3: that I think one of the things that, again, going back to the the, Three Mile Island, some of the lessons learned from that is that at that time there wasn't a lot of media reporters that had any kind of experience or knowledge really in the nuclear industry. So that was a challenge from their standpoint. And then, obviously, there as well as with BP, uh, there was a really lack of being candid. You know, they weren't admitting that uncertainties existed at first. They were coming out with, you know, these were our estimates. The estimates turned out to be not so clear. And at first they might have started out with the human side, but instead of focusing their compassion and response on the families and friends of the people that will be impacted, you know, they started shifting their focus from the human tragedy to the long-term liabilities and then this whole series Full-page ads in the Wall Street Journal and the other things that they were putting out there, and oh, this is all the things that we're doing. You know, that's not the time to do it.
2: No, and I thought, at the you high know, level. no, exactly, and I and I realized that BP, you know, was, you know, I, you know, it was the same thing. By the time they started, you know, buying. Public, what used to be public service ads, so to speak. I, you know, it was just really too late. They didn't even have a strategy that could alleviate the concerns of the public on their website until two weeks in, three weeks in. Um, you know, it, it, and it was weak at that, and I think it finally just started to get better. Um, and it was so obvious to a PR professional that they hired, you know, a big-time PR firm to do their crisis management and were slapping Band-Aids on the problem rather than being proactive in their strategy, right?
3: That's right, and, and I don't know if you happened to pick up on this, but uh, in some of the research I was doing for today, uh, I believe that they had contacted two or three of the major, I mean, big-time PR firms.
2: Right, right, the Ogilvie's of the world. and that And, kind of
3: and they wouldn't comment because they said it would be a conflict of interest for them
2: that the that bp wouldn't comment or the pr These fir-
3: large pr firms wouldn't comment on the bp you know public relations crisis communication things because it it would be a conflict of interest for us because of some of their clients that did business with BP or would would be impacted by.
2: Yeah, Well, that's, you know, wrong. That's very interesting, Glenn, because from the get-go then, perhaps they shouldn't be considered for the job. Hey, amen, amen. I mean, usually what happens is, is if I'm partnering with a large PR firm on, you know, a crisis for a large international company, we have to disclose every single one of the clients that might be, a conflict. Right. Um, so, you know, oh, my God, that's astounding to me. I didn't know that. That is just I, absolutely astounding.
3: Just in the last day or so, I ran across that, and I thought, I, wow, I can't believe this, that these people don't want to comment. But again, they're saying, well, it's their risk management, if you will, that we don't want to say something that, uh, you know, would harm our relationship with them.
2: Wow. Well, then they hired somebody to say something, they could, to say that they can't. Talk about things, huh?
3: Right. <laughs> well, well and you know this, this, smart, the, this right. the one I have comment to really too, that was made about we're going to clean up every drop of oil and restore the shoreline to its original state. I mean, that's a classic example of what not to do.
2: Yeah, no, that's but that was definitely that is go just down not in reality, state Cindy. Unbelievable! What's well, your what credibility? Glenn, we have to take our first commercial break so we can talk about this more and other crises that we are all facing and you and I can do our color commentary and (laughs) analysis. I think that we're just as good as any of the sports commentators when, you know, we're, you know, during a major game. I, you know, but that's what crisis management has come to. It's become a major game and it doesn't seem that there's any breaks in this game either. So stand by. We'll have more with the PR Dr. Glenn Ambersol when we're back after these messages. Stand by.
4: Women in business today face many challenges in advancing their careers and reaching their goals. There are corporate executives, entrepreneurs, and business owners that have made their mark in business. Now you can learn their secrets and tips. Listen to Women Mean Business as your host, Bonnie Marcus, explores how to thrive in the business environment, navigate the workplace, and climb the corporate ladder. Listen live every Tuesday at 2 p.m. Eastern Time on the Voice America Business Channel and effectively promote yourself today. And successful life. Stimulating talk gets those synapses in the brain inspired really fast. All the time, the number one internet talk station where your opinion counts. VoiceAmerica.com.
1: Welcome back to Stars of PR with Cindy R. If you have a question or comment, call in at 1-866-472-5788. Now, back to the show. Here's Cindy Rakowitz.
2: We're back, and we're talking about crisis management, and we're with Glenn Ebersol, the PR doctor, and we are doing minute-by-minute uh, minute color commentary of all the wonderful crises we all had to face in recent years. Again, Glenn, I'm sorry. This sounds so glib. <laughs>
3: oh, you know, it's uh, it's just the way things are these days, and I think, we, you know, you and I, of course, when we're working with, with clients, need to have that reality check, but also, we need to have something positive uh, for them to say as far as moving forward. Now, they of course, they have to take the advice, but, you know, how how do you move through this? What are some of the hard decisions and what are some of the hard things you're going to have to to do uh, to move forward? And uh, while we were on the break, I did find these things uh, that I was uh, mentioning to you about people that refused to comment, and I just wanted to share the specifics.
2: No, please, it's very helpful because I didn't know that, and I'm appalled. I just, I just found this
3: yesterday. In fact, uh uh, this was from Burson Marsteller.
2: New York <laughs> that, that even makes me more sick because damaged. about, you know, 30 years ago, I had them on yeah. my PR retainer, um, you know, as, as a PR retainer for $20,000 a month when I worked with RKO General. So yeah. we know that these are, re- I mean, that was 30 years ago. So you can imagine what they're charging now, and this is right. what they have to say, Right.
3: Well, here's what they said. They refused to comment on the BP disaster, citing its ties to another oil company. And considering that they also represented Blackwater USA when its employees killed 17 Iraqi civilians in 2007, spun for Babcock and Wilcox when the manufacturers plant at Three Mile Island suffered a partial meltdown. And they they also backed Union Carbide in the Bhopal, India, (laughs) leaked toxins. That was 3,700 people killed. Uh, and then another one was a Washington-based crisis management firm, Public Strategies, Inc. Right. They represented the voting machine manufacturer, Diebold, during the infamous 2004 elections. They refused to comment, citing BP's recent contact with the firm. Even Chicago-based sponsorship consulting group, IEG, couldn't comment about BP's upcoming role as a World Cup booster, as BP is one of the organization's clients.
2: Unbelievable.
3: Yeah. So I I was hoping I could find that during the break because I didn't want anyone to think that I was making this up.
2: Unbelievable. Yeah.
3: What does that say about some of their credibility?
2: (laughs) (laughs) Well, what it says is I'll tell you exactly what it says. Bottom line is that companies are giving PR companies $100,000 a month at least okay during these crises i mean at least okay to say nothing at all
3: or to say what they're telling them to say
2: um you know well to tell people that they have a conflict of interest <laughs> um i you know what is i mean what does that really do i just don't understand
3: <laughs> well, I, you know, one of my other favorite topics of course is ethics and i think that this you know saying okay where's the ethics in this you know people have to make a decision, and there's I still believe there's something called a principled resignation, whether it be from a position, whether it be from a client or whatever and those are tough decisions uh, but I believe that that comes into play also
2: un unbelievable i I'm just speechless, and I'm usually not
3: hey. <laughs> Well, you said we always uh, we always have, always have something special when you and I are uh, together, Cindy.
2: So yeah, no, that's very true. I mean, but I'm just I'm just speechless. See, but what that does is for the people that really can help people move forward in a positive way during some kind of crisis situation. These these kinds of statements don't make us look good.
3: No, oh, we know that. We're you know, if you're the next one in after someone's had that uh, kind of experience, you know that we're already tainted. We're already thrown into that perception. Oh, you're just like all the others. All you uh, want to do is spin things rather than, you know, do it the right, you know, the right way. So uh, that's right. And, and and also the, you know, we have a repeat too of where somebody is saying, oh, we're doing such a great job. I mean, the, the infamous line from, uh, you know, H A, uh, you know, from uh, President Bush, you know, W when he said, brownie you're doing a hell of a job. Uh, You know, those kind of comments also, again, just totally erode and corrode uh, any credibility in the people that are supposed to be running these agencies.
2: uh, Right. No, exactly. It's, uh, you know, it's, yeah, well, anyway, I'm just, again, I'm speechless, which doesn't happen very, very often, but um, I guess the best thing to do is, you know, for crisis management people that know how to advise is to keep on doing what they're doing, even if it has to be on a smaller level, and, you know, reinforce to people that not everybody is just a talking head that says, I have a conflict of interest, so I can't comment.
3: And I think that, you know, from the positive side, too, and and I know you have done this also, we look back, it's our job to look back and say, what have we learned? What are the lessons learned? What are the teachable moments from this? And if there's anything positive from this, you know, we, we know that in... Future textbooks, training manuals on governance, communications, crisis management. This is going to be coming out, and if we can look at what are the teachable moments from this, then something positive, you know, can uh, can happen. Um, I thought, you know, this whole, you know, the the commentary by, of course, uh, Tony Hayward, but uh, about getting his life back that you mentioned earlier. Uh, but also I thought it was interesting that uh, two other people, you know, Spike Lee and Kevin Costner, they were out there talking about, you know, technology and inspiration. Uh, and Costner, I guess, uh, has uh, some involvement with a company he has on some kind of technology that supposedly is able to clean up uh, some uh, spills.
2: Yeah, I heard about that. Um, you know, where is it and how come it wasn't brought to you? Um oil companies' attention sooner as a preventative measure and um, you know something that they ought to have on board for immediate cleanup rather than after the fact.
3: Exactly. And we do have a firm in our local area here near uh, Lancaster, Pennsylvania that in uh, a meeting recently with them, they shared with me about some really interesting technology, nanotechnology that they've been working on And, and I said, gee, does this work five miles below the the sea the, uh, surface, and they said, well, we've already submitted something. I'll be eager to find out if they get a response, uh, you know, to what they uh, had submitted. Uh, the other thing that I was thinking about, too, is that, you know, the BP thing now, and again, with our new technology compared to when Valdez happened uh, 1989, uh, this is going to be replacing the uh, a lot of the footage and so forth from, from uh, Valdez because some of those tapes now are faded, but these interviews are going to have more current appeal, and they're going to be basically be able to be preserved literally forever.
2: Um, the the new video from BP?
3: Right, yeah, all the things that are being captured in, with the uh, digital technology now versus what we had back in 1989.
2: Well, I guess that's a positive thing, huh?
3: Well, if, if we learn the lessons from that, yes, Cindy, you're right, it will be.
2: <laughs> I mean, I don't, I, you know, I just don't know. Again, we've faced, you know, the world has faced so many disasters and you've mentioned a few of them when, you know, certain PR firms put them forward as disasters that they've handled and therefore cannot make statements about current disasters. And, um, you know, I, I just think that it is, I would hope, and I'm not a risk management person i'm not a specialist um, in you know the numbers, but I would imagine that those numbers keep on increasing incrementally in terms of the likelihood of a risk taking place. Right. Um, you know the more the more that happens, you know statistically, you would have to think that the more that there's a chance that more is going to happen, right?
3: And I want to go back to something you said earlier. Uh, in the show, Cindy, when you were talking about the risk management and the costs, and I think what they they didn't do is like we have the the what ifs, and you don't you know do that forever and ever. But there has to be somebody the, the technocrats that are behind the scenes, and you say to them, you know, what what might be a worst case scenario? We need you to tell us if we're not able to cap this, or we're not able to get this down to a, a more manageable level. What could be the economic impact on this? On a worst case, I don't. I don't really think they did that. They just dismissed it. That you know, one of the comments, and I, I can't recall who made this about. Well, we have leaking oil all the time in all these you know uh, deep uh, water wells, and uh, you know the ocean's big enough, et cetera, et cetera. It'll just you know it'll go away over time. Um, that's a total unreality uh, way of saying things.
2: Do you think people really? <laughs> What? Do you think people really thought that way? The ocean is big no. enough.
3: No, I think that it was, uh, I don't know if that might have been one of the congressmen. Of course, they're so insulated that they don't have reality. But no, I don't think the public bought that at all. They're saying, you know, that's, I'm sorry, but I, I can't believe that What, you know, whatsoever.
2: Yeah, no, that, that doesn't, you know, what we needed to see was a strategy that was more immediate, that made people feel more, Confident and comfortable, and some new technologies that were ready and were ready to be implemented in terms of the cleanup at the very beginning.
3: And that's a perfect comment. To the other thought I had was that again, similar to the TMI, the technologies associated with these, you know, uh, deep water uh, rigs, you know, little understanding of the technologies and practices behind this complex system and. Uh, BP and others have not done a good job at all of trying to inform the public, what are the safeguards that we had? What was our plan? You know, here's here's what can happen. Um, and, and to educate them uh, on what they have done and how, if an event occurs, this is what uh, can happen. They just totally avoided telling people, this is what we've done to try to, you know, prevent and minimize accidents.
2: Well, yeah, I I wish that there would be a special right now that demonstrated to the public all the many possibilities of, you know, technology that might be similar to what Kevin Costner is proposing. (laughs) Right,
3: exactly. And one of the things that, you know, you and I know well is that the media can, in fact, really be your strongest ally to tell your side of a technology story uh, outside of the crisis. And then when something does happen, you know, they can be an ally in getting the, the word out. But if you have, um, fallen in your relationship with them and, and said some of these things, uh, they're not going to be as much of an, an ally. They're going to be more of an adversary.
2: And I think we, and I think we saw that happen. Well listen, we're going to have to take another commercial break. More on this. We're going to move on to some other crises. I think we kind of spilled the oil on BP ad nauseum. I don't know what else there is to say. I think we kind of summarized it. So stay tuned and come back right after this commercial break.
0: Stop wasting time. Get what you want. Live your dream life. The Dream Big Revolution. Imagine having more freedom, better health, more money, happiness. Could your business be more successful? Unless you're living the life you want, you're wasting precious time. Your life is too valuable to waste. Let Leanne Hilgers help you find health, wealth, and happiness. Listen in and live your dream life. Join the Dream Big Revolution. Tune in every Tuesday at noon Eastern Time, 9 a.m. Pacific Time, on the 7th Wave Network.
4: Never be satisfied. Let that be a lesson you take away from Double Time with Double D, featuring businessman and former NFL star Dave Duerson. voiceamerica.com
1: oh, boy, Get free advice from crisis communications guru Cindy Rakowitz now. Call 866-472-5788 Let's get back to Stars of PR. Here's the host and CEO of BR Public Relations, Cindy Rakowitz.
2: Hi there, we're back with Glenn Ebersole, and we're talking about the many crises that the world is facing today. And if you would like to go back, please listen to the first two segments, and you'll hear some color, color commentary on BP oil. Um, and I think, in summary, um, the best thing to do for a company these days, particularly using a BP oil as a case study, is... Do not be reactive in your crisis and disaster strategies if you are in a business where you can very likely face disasters like an oil spill. Do not take the lighter side of risk forecast, and companies better start taking responsibility and spending the money on possibilities that a disaster might happen because I don't think the world is in a state of mind to... Um, take the lighter side of risk planning um, with a grain of salt anymore. I think that the public and legislation and lawmakers, et cetera, are all going to keep private business a lot more accountable for damages that might be made, and um, and I think that they should. Do you agree with that?
3: Yes, Yes, I do, and I want to reemphasize being proactive rather than reactive and have a plan, practice a plan, make sure people know about it, and for heaven's sake, be honest. Be honest, and if you don't know something, say you don't know, but you'll try to get information, and be credible. Don't send somebody out there that's not a credible, believable spokesperson.
2: No, exactly right. Exactly right. I think that sums it up pretty well. There's nothing really. There's nothing else more to say except that everybody else better be ready. (laughs) Um, That's right. I can recall. uh, Well,
3: it goes back uh, to uh, literally uh, 2001. You know, uh, when I was on a show and we were saying that, oh, I'll come back in the future to talk about something else, and they said, well, let's talk about uh, crisis management, and then of course. uh, you know, subsequent to that, uh, you know, we had the uh, the nine eleven incident, and uh, there was a lot of unpreparedness for that, for sure.
2: There was a lot of unpreparedness. I was a part of the unpreparedness as uh, as a public citizen because I was at an airport. So, mm-hmm. and I I don't know if you were on the show with me, but I've mentioned this before, but. Um, you know, at LaGuardia Airport, Port Authority of New York, um, a lot of us were stunned when we watched the New York skyline oh. at an eye view, not a news view, and watched this happen. And then the next thing that happened was is canned speech on loudspeakers saying, we are in danger, we are in an act of war, please leave the building promptly.
3: No, you hadn't shared that with me before.
2: Um, but it's, well, it's been public and it's been printed before. So um, in terms of disaster planning, that was not the right thing to do. I mean, there should have been, you know, to have it on a loudspeaker just made it even more scary. It was as if we were all in Auschwitz being shepherded to an oven. It was just unbelievable. Unbelievable. I mean, to, who thought of that? You know, <laughs> we are in danger.
3: Right. Well, and, you know, that, that had some similarities, that kind of thing, with, of course, the, the Three Mile Island. Going back to that, I was with a client, and we were actually outdoors. It was a rather warm day in, in March. And these are intelligent people, and they were technology-driven. And the one guy made a comment. He says, I'm going back inside. I can smell this stuff. And it was an, it was an indication of how people's minds were just being torn in many different directions, and there was all kind of conflicting reports coming out and telling what people to do, you know, evacuate the area, don't evacuate the area. Uh, people in Europe were calling people here in this country, and they were telling us that they were seeing video footage of fires and other things, which are totally not happening.
2: Right. No, it was canned stuff.
3: Exactly, so that's... I mean, you know,
2: it, you know and this is, you know, I, I, first of all, it just was very antiquated. <laughs> it was, you know, entirely antiquated. Second of all, I think people wanted to hear real voices and not a canned thing. Yes, yes. I mean, it just reminded me of a, you know, of like a bombing alarm when I was in elementary school, and, you know, that was in the 60s. Yes. So I, it, it just, they didn't update it. They obviously didn't go through drills. Because nobody from the Port Authority staff knew what to do. Right. So it was people like me who had to kind of take charge as a citizen leader.
3: Well, and, and, yeah, to get somebody, again, it goes back to being a credible, believable person that's giving information. And people that would call up and say, what are you hearing? And you would share, well, hey, here's what I'm hearing, and this is what I believe. And, you know, there'd be so many conflicting stories, and people were just, their heads were spinning and i think today the public that has so many different sources of information is probably even heightened if we used that same kind of model back then during tmi with all the different sources of information and ways to receive information oh my gosh i hate to even think of how much worse it could have been because now there was many 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 more channels of distribution of misinformation
2: no, no, I, I think that's really true. I, the one thing that I want to say that I think worked well during nine one one was in terms of spokesperson and consistency of messages. After the whole mess happened, I think that Rudy Giuliani did a great job, but of course that was after the fact. But at least he was a confident leader. He was strong. He was consistent in his messaging. Um, you know, he gave New York sort of new york city a face of leadership and strength
3: and he refused to take the bait whenever he'd be asked well you know for estimates you know he he just wouldn't do it until he had some way to get verification confirmation of something he was saying as far as a, a death toll or something he refused to do that and i think that that was a very positive thing also and you're you're right he they did put a whole new face of leadership in uh here at the uh, Lancaster Chamber of Commerce they had ha- happened to actually had contracted with him prior to 911 to be our annual dinner speaker for the following year and those tickets 2500 tickets sold out in probably about a half hour yeah,
2: um, yeah no i know it. well listen again he's uh Giuliani was always The You know, the right man for the right job. And being a New York City person, you know, until 1995, you know, I've watched him in his younger days, and he's always been the right man for the right place and the right job. So, you know, listen, I don't, in terms of risk management, I have to tell you this. I, you know, I I think that there's a hell of a larger chance that there might be an oil spill that then what may have been expected with a terrorist hit on the World Trade Center. I would agree. So, you know, we have to be fair and we have to criticize where, you know, criticism is mandated and necessary. And I, and I think that 9-11 makes a really good point about, you know, the likelihood of disaster. I mean, who, you know, who really could have thought You know, that, you know, terrorists were going going to plot this, you know. Now, I I know that there's all kinds of, you know, there was all kinds of conspiracy ideas that people knew about this and they didn't talk about it and this and that and all that kind of stuff. But again, I still think that the likelihood of an oil spill taking place was 100% or maybe 80% more likely than, you know, these guys actually making the hit on the more, World Trade Center in spite I would agree,
3: of the mu- much more, uh, probable yeah. of that happening than uh, what happened on on 9/11.
2: So, you know, I you know, I just what I think could have been done better were some of the drills. I, you know, I again, I can't speak for the World Trade Center itself. Um, you know, cuz I'm really not expert as to whether or not they had drills. And I don't know if a drill would have really done anything. I really don't. But at least in terms of the public transit um, authorities, you know, the evacuation drills should have clearly been um, a lot more rehearsed.
3: Right. Well, and, and, uh, you know, the other thing I was thinking about, too, when I thought back to uh, the Challenger, uh, that... too many times, and especially I think it, it, it may be more true with the governmental agencies, they're always prepared to talk about successes, but they're not prepared to talk about failures. And that does not necessarily mean that they haven't thought about it, but they don't talk about it. And I think that the Challenger, um, I mean, obviously a huge, huge emotional um, thing that happened, but. NASA was truly only prepared to talk about all the great successes they've had on all the missions.
2: Yeah, no, I, I think that's really true. And they did again, focus we could talk more love. about that. We have a couple of minutes left in this segment, sure. and then we have one more segment left. So if you want to, you know, go more in depth about Challenger in the next segment, you're welcome to do so. But um, you well, know, I was
3: also thinking about you know other crises. You know, the now is that we continue with this. You know, our situation with uh, you know, banking and financial institutions and, the you know, the economy that we're in, uh, which has, you know, impacted, uh, you know, such a broad swath of our population. It's not confined to one socioeconomic group by any sense of the imagination.
2: Well, we could talk about that in the next segment, Glenn. So stand by. We'll be right back. And, you know, if you want to give your website, please give it now
3: www.lmaconsulting.cc
2: Well, there you go. Very clear. Stand by. We'll be right back for our last segment with Glenn Emerson. an American Idol. I kill my mama
4: Talk, talk, talk. That's all we do is talk. Yeah. Money. We love it, we hate it, and everything in between. You can be the master of your life and your own economics. Join Professor Laurie Lamantia each week for the program Making Peace with Money. Laurie will help you realize the power to create fulfillment in your life and shed new light on your money madness. You'll learn how to make peace with money and feel the joy and freedom renewed in your life. Making Peace with Money is broadcast live every Tuesday morning at 10 a.m. Eastern Time, 7 a.m. Pacific Time on the Voice America Business Channel. VoiceAmerica.com
1: my oh Icon Cindy Rakowitz has won more awards than she can hang on her wall including three Cleos. Call in now at one 472 5788 and you can have one Okay, maybe not but she will answer your questions Back to Stars of PR with Cindy R.
2: We're back in our final segment with Glenn Ebersole. And, you know, Glenn, if there's anything that you want to say from the other disasters that we have discussed, you know, please say it now.
3: (laughs) Well, I was just thinking with all these that we discussed, I said if there would be maybe a top five things, and not necessarily in this order, but uh, as far as really proactive, positive advice is one, you and I both said you, you need to be proactive, you need to have a plan, it needs to be well thought out, and you need to practice it and make everybody aware of it. And you really need a one-voice strategy, and you've got to communicate often and reliably, and not only just with the media, but with all the stakeholders that uh, are involved, and really focus on the human side of things, especially if there is, uh, unfortunately, deaths or other kinds of losses, to really focus on that, you know, initially Uh, making sure that you have some kind of a really coordinated, almost a one-stop source so that everything funnels through so that there's not misinformation. And then also is to really apologize, a sincere apology. And that doesn't necessarily mean your admission of guilt, but I think people need to know that you are truly sorry, and that has to come through very, very clearly.
2: And I think that's true. I would also highly recommend that if... Companies or corporate communications professionals don't have a copy of the emergency public relations manual written by Alan B. Bernstein. That is uh, sort of a, you know, a great, you know, step-by-step manual as a start, and it really goes from the very obvious to, you know, prepared messages, and really talking and walking and talking you through everything that you have just summarized, Glenn. Um, And even for somebody that doesn't have much experience, it could really help them, help the leaders go through this. And um, I think that if a lot of these companies would have had their emergency public relations manual by Alan B. Bernstein and followed some of the advice in it, they probably wouldn't be in as much trouble. I mean, you know, right, it's and, you know, everything from uh,
3: uh, segment of our uh, world today,
2: schools, and,
3: and some of the things—the real tragedies that happened in schools and other other public places, for that matter—and them not being, you know, prepared many times for this. They just thought, well, it's not going to happen. I think now there's such a heightened awareness, especially in schools, that they do have plans. Uh, and there was a private school. Um, that had contacted me. It was a new person in the position. They really wanted to get the leadership of that private school together for this. And I asked them if they had a plan. She said, no, we don't. And she wanted them to move forward. That was some outside assistance. But again, they chose not to do that. So there's still folks out there that I think are still in somewhat of a denial that, oh, well, it won't happen to us.
2: Right, right. No, I think that's very very high true. risk. No, I yeah, no, I I think that's very true. And every school should definitely have their emergency public relations manual as well. It's um it, it includes stuff like next of kin yep. um, you know, notifying parents. I mean everything. So and then, um, and again, you
3: know, the the benefit that is today versus, you know, what may have happened fifteen or twenty years ago is the technology, Cindy, that we have at our disposal. You know, think back, you know, like if if when you and I were in school where something happened, it was the telephone. Right. uh, Or radio or maybe TV. But now it's, you know, a click through the Internet to get information out. Or there's pre, you know... Pre-arranged uh, calls that go out, and I know from schools or on campuses and so forth, where they're hooked up into something so that when there is an emergency, information can be dispatched. You know, think about what's happened on some of these college campuses, also with the crises that they've had to deal with. And they oh, have of technology. Of course, I mean,
2: you had all kinds of violent behavior, and you know,
3: violent. <laughs> The absolute extreme, so I think that the, the the lesson here is that we have this technology. how can we best use it when we need to engage it uh, for crisis communications
2: right no exactly right I, I, I think you know it's a three point oh world now you know meaning it 's not only through the internet it's through your mobile phone, so everything's available through the palm of your hands That's and exactly,
3: um, yeah I, I the one commercial that uh, advertisement I, I liked was the where the uh, young man sees a, a gal putting up posters about her lost dog, and uh, he gets on his uh, you know mobile device and puts the word out and actually finds the, the dog through that. And by the time the young gal gets back to her home, this young man uh, is there with her dog.
2: Right. Well, that's the immediacy. I, I think that's well said. But at the same time, you could act like a dog, and it could be all over the world in a millisecond. (laughs)
3: Uh, Amen to that, too. That's the uh, other side that one has to think about, and uh, I was looking around at at some quotes also, and uh, I was sort of surprised, and I like this quote uh, when we say about, you know, oh, with all these things that that we have to go through as far as failures, whether they're failures in companies or failures in our own life or whatever, uh, if uh, we don't look at them as failures, but what can we learn from that? And I guess it was Thomas Edison, I think, that maybe attributed to the quote of, I failed my way to success. He said, I just found out that there's a thousand ways how not to make a light bulb. But this was a quote that said, you always pass failure on the way to success. And uh, I think there's a lot of truth to that. Uh, what oh, surprised think. me was uh, the person that this quote is attributed to, and it's uh, Mickey Rooney. Uh,
2: well, <laughs> <laughs> he's been so, so we look for
3: where long time, time before he
2: left us. So.
3: I'm failure, but we've got to pass that to success. So what what do we learn from this so that on other future things that we don't have this? And the other thing I just learned uh, I think this morning was that BP is actually going to be drilling drilling another well that was declared offshore because they created a man-made island, and uh, so it's considered onshore and is not affected by this uh, moratorium.
2: Oh, no, right. Okay. Well, great. (laughs)
3: Just one more thing on the tour. Are you kidding me? Anyway, I think, you know, we've got to stay positive, and and especially people that are in this business and saying, you know, if you can uh, really rely on people that are, are positive, persistent, and patient in working with you and you're willing to listen to the advice and do some of the hard things that you have to do, there are ways to get through these things. And actually, there are actually opportunities to show how strong a company or an individual you really are because of the way you handled it.
2: Yeah, no, well, I think that's true. I, I think that's really true. And, um, you know, we have a couple of minutes left. I just wanted to, you know, talk a little bit about Tolkien, the killer whale. I don't know if you watched what happened at SeaWorld, but it was astounding to me that the whale actually killed other people while letting allowing him to perform. Right. <laughs> the, Again, uh, risk
3: management. How do you? <laughs>
2: Wow. I mean, the, the whale does not, you know, obviously, you know, this is the whale that did not work well with people. <laughs> Maybe <laughs> we should have a given him one of our record. Tests. I don't understand that, Glenn. I have to, like, end on that one because, I mean, listen, it's very tragic what happened, but as we know, while, you know, animals are unpredictable anyway. I mean, so, you know, you, you can never blame it on the animal. It's not the animal's fault, but the, these are people. These are, you know, marine biologists that are supposed to really... But this is a, a whale that's killed before. Right.
3: And the unpredictable, like you said, of that, that they, oh, they've been a pet and they've never done anything, you know, whether it's dogs or whatever. But you're right. They're still, you know, can be unpredictable and people have to use caution. Well, you, you think of the uh, accident with uh, <clears throat> the lions, or the tigers, excuse me, uh, where the, the uh, tiger attacked uh, a person out in Las Vegas. Um, Roy... Sig and Roy, I guess. Sieg, yeah, and Roy. It's still, yes, and the animal doesn't know The animal is acting out of their instincts.
2: Yeah, no, I think that's true. And in talking, let's end the show with acting on instincts. And, you know, animals act on instincts and they can't help what they do. And people should act on their best instincts and not necessarily listen to conservative financial advisors in their risk planning. Is that a good way to end this?
3: Yes. And also, yes, you need to keep the legal things in mind, but I hope that doesn't become paramount in responses to crises.
2: No, that's exactly right. Well, thank you for spending the hour with us, Glenn. We really appreciate it. It was a fun show, a serious you, Cindy, show, but a fun always, show. Thank you, as always. I really
3: enjoyed uh, being on with you.
2: Okay, well... Thank you, everybody. Have a safe weekend, and we'll all talk next week. Be safe. Thank you, Glenn.
3: You're welcome.